0: Hey, welcome. I'm Nancy. Hi, Nancy. I am a compulsive overeater and I am a member of the program committee. And this is something that's hard for me to say, so I wrote it down as simple as it is. Uh, okay. I'm excited to introduce our opening ceremony keynote speaker. Let's welcome Tom. I'm Tom and I'm a compulsive overeater and I'm utterly delighted to be here. I've been in the program for 11 years last week. I've been abstinent and I had a sponsor who encouraged me to attend every convention. The first one I attended was two weeks after I came into program. And I absolutely love being here, because as I look around, I just see so many great faces. I see somebody who I spoke on a panel with the first time I was able to speak. I see a couple who fell in love in the rooms, which is just really beautiful to see. I see the first person I ever called when I needed help at that moment. I see some of the people who've been around forever, and their strength, hope, experience, and commitment to maintenance... Um, gives people like me a lot of hope. And there are a thousand other stories. These people who came from far away, someone here came in when they were in high school, and now they're, you know, abstinent, just living the life. And there is so much joy, hope, and promise in this room. And I'm here today to say that... um, I am a low-bottom, compulsive overeater. And what I'm here to say is that if I can have some hope and the experience of this program, I truly believe anyone can. It, um, it, it It's not been an easy path. There are two reasons I've stuck around so long, and I think I'm like a pigeon because pigeons just don't leave. And I think... <laughs> The secret to my success is the fact that I haven't left. The other thing, and I don't know how this happens because why I'm a low bottom is because I'm completely stubborn. I lived for 42 years thinking my way was the best and the only and the smartest way. And that kept me 315 pounds, fat and unhappy. And um, I managed to see people do things that I couldn't imagine myself doing and I just studied them and you know I'm not original I'm just I'm I'm a copycat I just copy the good things that a lot of people do so I'm simply delighted um, to be here and I just want to um, you know I'm supposed to mention people by name but the committee who did this is amazing and also um, you know I read the article from our founder who's just such an inspiration to this I just um, want to kind of bring that into the room I qualify. I came in at age 42, like I said, 11 years ago. Um, I was 100 pounds heavier than I was. I am today. I was also eight inches wider than I am today, um, and I had some really horrible health conditions. Um, I'm very vain, and I'm a gay man, so things like having a rash under your arms, anywhere the skin meets, I have a rash. I think because of what I was eating back then. I think the allergic reaction caused the rash to get flaky. So I had it. I'm going to be a little unsavory under the arms, in the butt crack, you know, in the crotch, in the arms, and going to the gym was just awful. You know, I just felt like the human fat rash. Um, and <laughs> the truth is. Today, that doesn't happen for me through because of this program, because of my higher power, and just because that's what happens. Um, the second thing is I came into these rooms with a diagnosis of being pre-diabetic, and I was getting ready to go on the insulin, and it wasn't the genetic kind. It was the kind that happened when you went to the bakery, ordered a dozen things, and ate them all before the car ride home. The same thing happened with candy stores, candy stores, donut places, and eat pies, all that other kind of stuff. Um, and today, I don't have that condition. And I don't eat sugar. I haven't since I got here. But I came in when I was 42. So I had plenty of time to trial and error that, um, and was very, very unsuccessful. The other thing that's kind of interesting is I came in, and I hear about this in the rooms, um, with the problem with the pancreas. I got pancreatitis, which is a horrible, horrible stomach ache, because you eat so much fat, the pancreas and the internal organs just can't digest it. And I used to have cases of that that ended up hospitalizing me. And recently, I got another bout of it. And I went to my doctor. I said, you know, it's got to be what I eat. And I have my food log there. And I went through two weeks of food with him. And I don't, you know, I, I don't deviate. I rarely deviate, I should say, from what is on my food log. And we went through, he said, there's nothing you could eat that causes this. This is natural, which was just shocking to me because it was very, very different than the first time I was in there. And, um, and so anyway, but it's, you know, it's, it's less of a condition because I'm not hurting myself. So, um, so one of the things I really think is that prior to coming into the room, I had a really broken belief system. I think our disease wipes us out. And I had a couple of beliefs that, um, I mean, and and this is, I mean, I don't know if this is denial, beliefs, or whatever. I swear to you, I've never been diagnosed, but I thought I had a thyroid problem. That's why I was fat. I mean, I really, I just, in my heart of hearts, I utterly believed that it was because of the undiagnosed thyroid problem. That's why I was 100 pounds heavier than I am today. It didn't occur to me that when I went out to dinner and ate four loaves of bread... That that might have something to do with it, but I—I I mean, you know, I think um, the belief system. I think my mind was broken in terms of I just couldn't do the math. You eat that way, you're going to be heavy. You know, the same thing with the sugar and stuff. But there was always a reason outside of myself, and there's a way that my um, belief system was really warped. Um, I never thought I could be slim. And a couple of things, and if you could, um, I don't know if the pictures are going around yet. It's the 4th of July, and I just thought I would thrill you all. Instead of seeing fireworks, you can see a picture of me in a bathing suit at full weight. And I want you to see the man boobs, and I want you to see the belly, because I was just all belly and um, all boobs. It never occurred to me that I could be slim. That wasn't even in my realm of possibility. It didn't, because of course I had a thyroid problem. Now, the issue was I just didn't think it was possible. I thought it was for other people. One of the things I think is really important I dressed up tonight because, as a heavy set man, you know, someone in the 300 pounds, I could never wear a suit that looked like I didn't sleep in it. That's just what happens. They make it with crappy material. Um, you know, there's no contour. There's, there's none of that stuff. I mean, and it just looks like a rumpled up ball, which is completely humiliating. But not as humiliating as the bathing suits they buy for the heavyset man. Take a look at this one. Green with palm trees. All right? And it's elastic, and it's polyester. You put it on, and it just looks bad. And this is actually one of the better choices. You put it on, it looks bad, you get it wet, and it just barely covers the crotch because it just goes down. And if you had a belly, the belly goes out, the bathing suit's down, and you're walking around in a place that is completely... I see some other guys laughing, so I'm guessing I'm not alone in this. But it's just um, it's just hard, and it's just... Embarrassing, and it's just really, um, it's really tough, and that's really what this disease does. Um, the other thing is, I really thought a couple of things. I thought that financial, you know, f- fina- I, I just didn't think I could have things financially like other people have. I just thought, you know, um, I, I just my beliefs were so. Limited. I just thought at age 42 there's no way I could ever own real estate, have a decent savings account, or any of that stuff. I just thought that didn't happen. And also, I just didn't think I could have a partnership that was any good. You know, I just thought, well, that was for other people, or, you know, I would think that's for the straights. They can have the relationship. And I don't, you know, but the truth is, I was just wounded, hurt, and I didn't know how to be outside of eating. And the only relief I got. Was you know going home, shutting the door, and eating whatever takeout was on deck that night, and this went on and on and on and on. And our disease is really—it's um, just very, very demoralizing in in that way. Um, I felt sad all the time, but you know, I kind of hid that because I just felt like I missed the boat on life. You know, I didn't have a normal-sized body in my adult life until I was forty-three years old. You know, I was fat in my 20s, fat in my 30s, and fat for two years in my 40s. And it just, um, you know, and you see the other guys who are just slim, and they don't think about it. And the other thing is I was mad. I was just really angry. I remember, um, and you know, I remember being at the gymnasium, you know, and I, of course, would go to, you know, The the gay obsessed gym with all the skinny men. And I would, of course, be the fattest one. And the first thing I'd do was scan the room to see if anyone was fatter than me. And in my imagination, there was no one on the planet fatter than me, no matter who was in front of me. And then I'd see people looking at me. And I'd think, well, that, use a bad word, that skinny bitch is looking at me. That skinny bitch hates fat people. That blah, blah. You know, that's no one else's voice except my poisoned voice. And that's what happens. And that's how this disease has completely hit me. Um, and the other thing is I just lost hope. I just lost hope. So um, there are a couple of things. I want to say something because I was asked to talk about the steps. And I was asked to talk about this theme, a new freedom and a new happiness. And I want to be a little, I just want to express my thoughts. And again, like Katie said at the beginning, take what you want. Uh, you know, it's, um, it, this is my point of view. It doesn't have to be everyone's. Um, But, you know, a new freedom and a new happiness. I can talk about freedom, and I plan to in a couple of minutes. Happiness is a really funky thing to aspire to. I don't know that my goal in life is to be happy. Because with the abstinent life, my goal is serenity, My goal is inner peace, and the only way I know how to do that is to do everything in my power not to take the first compulsive bite. And not just in my power, but the power that's um, offered to me. So I live a life now that is really robust. It's very interesting, but it's not always happy. You know, I can't guarantee you, because of the life and because of this program and the fellowship and the steps and the tools, I have way more moments of pure happiness and pure joy than I did prior to this program. But I have just as many experiences of sadness, compassion, rage, but in the purest form, which a life of abstinence gives me, that's meaningful, and that's rich, and that's interesting. My goal is serenity and inner peace, and, and that's done through, through this path. So, um, so I'll, I'll let you know what happened to me. And, um, oh, God, the part of me that's completely controlling is missing a page of my notes. So, um, <laughs> whoa. Um uh, <laughs> So what happened to me was, um, you know, I lived up to 42 years of making promises to myself every single day. And the promises were something like, all right, for today, and it was before Excel spreadsheets, so I just had big charts, right? And I just, how many glasses of water, how much exercise did I do, what I would eat, what I wouldn't eat, all this other kind of stuff. And I did that repeatedly for a really long time. And by the time the first cup of coffee came with the treat, I had failed every day, you know, for a really, really long time. So I just, um, you know, and I, I hit my, my full weight. Um, I, th- what happened to me was kind of interesting. What got me into the rooms is um, two things. You know, I was so selfish. I always just wanted, I wanted someone, I had this idea of partnership, and I always just wanted this partnership where I'd have a really cool person, who would do every single thing I wanted them to do. And I really thought... I thought that was it. You know, if I could, you know... You know little did I know at that time, I'm bringing them on the disease path with me. But, um, you know, but that's a whole different thing. And my higher power delivered. My higher power brought someone into my life named Renee, who's my partner now, and is the absolute love of my life. Far different than anything I expected. Now, one thing I can tell you about that is he fell in love with me at full weight, right? Now, I don't know if he was 100 pounds heavier. Would I be able to do that? I sure hope so. Um, But he fell in love with me at full weight, which which was actually a very alien experience to me because the people I had chosen before were just, just fed into my critical self. So I met someone, and I really knew that my script for how they should be would kill it faster than anything. But I didn't know anything else. But I do know there was some quality of that with him loving me at full weight I've never experienced. The other thing that happened is um, I was up at Lake Tahoe. I was in between, for those of you who know Lake Tahoe, is between Kings Beach and um, Carnelian Bay. And I was taking my nephew and my sister somewhere at 7 in the morning driving down the highway, and um, a Caltrans truck was blinded by the light, made a left-hand turn, and um, almost killed us. Car spun around three times, just blasted into a tree. It was really scary. My respect and my regard for my life was so limited back then that I just was glad they didn't die. And that was really um, pretty darn telling. I didn't, you know... I was last on the three people in the car I really cared about. But I love these people. And so, anyway, I'm staying with them, and I pick on them all these times, these wonderful friends of mine, and they're dainty gay males. They're the skinny hipped ones who are just tiny. And um, I was staying with them that night, and I was really, you no, know, it's like, you know, you got like this. And then the words quiver. I mean, it really scared me to death. And um, they, in their own dainty little gay male type of way, went into the freezer, cut out the cookie dough with four little cookies, and put them in the oven, and brought me four cookies to see if that would, um, you, know, ease my pain. And I was like, "Are you out of your mind?" so they would And they knew I was all shaky. So they, they brought me my four cookies, and I swear to you, I sent them back at least 10 times. You know? And that's just what happened. Now, I woke up in the middle of the night. I don't know. You know, I I came in with a pretty robust relationship with the divine, although it's changed. Um, And I woke up, and I just really felt God's presence. And I thought, well, you know, if I were to have died, what would I want to be different? And, of course, because of my thyroid problem, it couldn't be my weight, right? (laughs) Because of the self-denial. But I hated the way I was with food. I couldn't stand it. And something happened in the middle of the night that just really brought me to my senses. Now, here's how it works. Because there was a woman I knew in an exercise class who I always loved. We never talked. We always hugged. and We, ex- you know, we, we did it for five years. And someone outed her as an OA member. And what I did was I remember being at the Gold Run truck stop on Highway 80... I pulled over and was on my cell phone. I called this person I barely knew. I said, this is Tom from the exercise class. Hi, Tom. You know how nice away people are. Hi, Tom. Thanks for calling. You know, just so friendly and helpful. And I said, I'm in trouble. I need help. This is what's happening. And, you know, like almost every other program call, I just got the response. Gee, thanks so much for calling. Are you coming back to the city tonight? There's a Friday night meeting I think you'd really like. You seem like you're a pretty social guy. Why don't you go there, and why don't you look for my friends so-and-so and so-and-so and so-and-so, and I'll tell them that you're coming, they're really nice, and I think you'll like them. Oh, and by the way, why don't you figure out what you're going to eat tomorrow, and just call me later and tell me what that is. And you know, it seems like such a you know, an easy thing to do. It's still not an easy thing to do. I'll tell you that. But the issue is... Uh, the issue is, is, all right. And then so I started thinking about, well, what am I going to eat? What am I going to eat? Ah, you know, just, um, you know, something, uh, you know. But I went to the meeting, and I, I never had the experience at that meeting where, you know, some people say, oh, I hated it. They were aliens. I just thought, these are my people. You know, this is home, and I want to stay. And something really miraculous happened because um, from that time, I, the other thing the person I talked to said, "Well, write down those things that when you start eating. You don't stop, and at that point it was sugar, potato products, and bread. Period. There's just, um, and that was it. And from that day on, eleven years later, you know, I haven't, I haven't picked up those things, and it's been quite a miracle and quite a journey. So what I want to talk about, so you know." You got my opinion about happiness, but I want to talk about where freedom lives in terms of my experience of freedom, and I'm just going to talk about it in a few ways. The first thing, being a program this long, I have freedom from deception. And it's self-deception and deception of others. You can call it denial. I will tell you on every character defect, I am a liar. I'm far less of a liar than I was when I came in. It's more of a fib. I make amends when I lie now. But the truth is, coming in, I'm a liar. And I read something. Um, this is from For Today, from March 24th. And I just want to talk about it because it really captures uh, the freedom from deception. Mad is the term we use to describe the man who is obsessed with one idea and nothing else. Ugo Betty. I did not like the term insanity. A weight problem, yes, but I knew if I could only find the right diet, the right doctor, and like many an addict before me, I had to try by every means of self-deception and experimentation. Uh, the thyroid problem. And um, to prove to myself the exception, that, uh, to prove to myself the ex- exception to the rule. Until I was ready to give up excess food, which I thought I needed as much as I needed legs to walk on, nothing could have brought me to OA. But we will be restored to sanity when we are ready, and I am ready. To live a life of bleak and lonely addiction is no longer for me. Yes, I'm a compulsive overeater, admitting it's the first step to freedom. For today, I'm willing to admit deep down that I'm like other compulsive overeaters. There is an unimaginable freedom in that admission. Now, I will tell you, being um, a low-bottom, compulsive overeater, I, you know, the three legs of the stool the physical, the spiritual, and the emotional, I can't pick those. I go in order. Everything for me is still, food is a starting point. I start with the physical. I still have cravings. I still have weird ideas about food. I'm still whacked out. But when I do what it takes not to take the first compulsive bite, then I connect with my emotions. And then I realize how, you know, happy, sad, angry, whatever it is. Um, But I can't do that until I'm fighting the fight of putting the food down and not taking the first compulsive bite. And then, you know, somehow the mental comes in, and then God enters the whole thing. Because, I mean, sometimes I see people in the rooms, and, you know, they're fighting the great fight. And I just know if that continues, they're going to get abstinence, period. That's just how it happens. Um, But I think the fight... To not take the first compulsive bite is really important. So here's my, you know, actually, and I'll tell you, I don't take the first compulsive bite very often. It rarely happens. But I can tell you, I lose my spiritual condition, and I get crazy over food. I wish I could come up and say, you know, I wasn't nervous about today. I was scared to death, even though I've never been in a room of OA people where I haven't felt left. But, you know, I just get all, all nervous. So here's the form it takes for me. What restaurant am I going to? I can swap my protein today. Oh, I don't have time to cook. Maybe I'll have this. And you know, and then, all right, so, you know, and, and thankfully, the brain occupation is just less. You know, I just feel possessed by our disease sometimes. Oh, my God, what am I going to have? And what's down by San Mateo? And I'm, you know, and, um, you know, I'm off and running. And that's really the voice of, um, that is my voice of my disease. Now, I have to gauge all the time whether I'm not... I am in fit spiritual condition or not, right? So here's the deal. I'm tired out. We've got company. Um, I have a nephew. I'm a proud uncle of a U.S. Marine, and he's going to be deployed next week to somewhere in the Far East, all right? Last time he was there, something really tragic happened. Not to him, but he experienced trauma, All right. We've had a divorce in the family and people who are really close members of our family for 25 years, we haven't seen and there's been an ugly divorce and they're all coming together for this goodbye party to the little Marine to, um, you know, and so we can all join together coupled by the fact that my mom's moving into an assisted living facility in about 10 days. Where do you think my spiritual fitness is? Oh, and not to mention the way my family entertains. You know, Oh yeah, you get there at 12 in the afternoon. There are enough—I don't need hors d'oeuvres. There are enough hors d'oeuvres to, you know, feed the Middle East. And they're out for three hours. And um, not to mention, there's all this weirdness about, you know, a, a divorce and the sadness of this young man leaving. And you know, my old mom just taking care of herself and getting older. I don't know if I can attend that party. I, I honestly don't. I mean, my sponsor and I have an agreement that I'm going to wait till tomorrow and decide. If I do, I'm only going for an hour. Because I can't outfox this disease, and I cannot outfox the food. And if I go there and I'm at risk of eating, I'm not going. But I guarantee you I'll find a way to go tell that young man that I love him and put my arms around him and um, accept the fact that he uses homophobic language as a survival skill. But um, <laughs> I... You know, this is my dilemma. Um, you know, I have all sorts of things. I can't go into a grocery store after 5 o'clock at night. I don't know about the rest of you. I can't do it. The likelihood of me taking the first compulsive bite is just too great. Um, I used to, in the old days, leave home. I mean, this is just the craziness. I would get up in the middle of the night and spend 20 bucks at 7-Eleven on crap. Then come back and wonder why I couldn't sleep. Um, it's really tough. You know, one of the things about deception is pretty tricky, and here's just, um, you know, when you do a four-step, which I've done several times, I don't know if anyone's done it through the OA book where you answer those 500 questions you think will never end. And then, you know, I've done that a few times, and that forces us not to deceive ourselves. Have you ever heard an animal? I've never heard it. Wait a minute. You know, when I was seven years old. You know, that kind of stuff, and it just forces us to really pull that stuff out of ourselves and just deal with it and then the fifth step you tell someone you barely know oh guess what you know i um i i you know i I was one of those oh god talk about deception i'm going to tell myself i was one of those overweight people who lied about my weight and i internet dated and oh yeah this gets good you know and um you know Today, I'm 207 pounds, right? When I was 315 pounds, I told people I was 225. I would get, and I would send a a picture that was a little deceiving. And I would get on these dates, and people would be completely pissed off. And my response is, oh, man, they're fattest. They just don't like fat people. Well, perhaps they didn't like being with a liar. that's the form of deception that really, um, that just really happens. The other form of deception I have a really strong opinion about, and someone I have a, a program relationship with, is one of the ways I've deceived over the years is using electronics to be a sneak. So I have a sponsor, one of my sponsors. I called at 8:30 every morning, right, and I knew that person's schedule. And if I had had a food slip or, you know, and back in the old days, you know, what I do now with food is really different. I had a lot of them. I put on 40 pounds in program not eating sugar, potato, and bread products because I was dishonest. And um, I would call when I absolutely knew the phone would hit and the phone machine would hit and I would leave a vague message. Food was pretty good yesterday, <laughs> you know. <And> so, <laughs> But if we were talking in person, they would know what a big fat liar I was <laughs> and how hard it was. And now it's just so much easier. You know, there's someone in my program life, and we had a conversation. Do you go to your 4th of July barbecues? You know, this is their first year in program. And, um, yeah, I'm going tomorrow. I said, well, you know, do you have a plan of eating? Um, oh, yeah, I have a plan. I got the plan via a text today. <laughs> And I had to make program calls because I was triggered by so many things on that list. <laughs> and um, this is what happens. But you know, we're taught that you know, when you're doing this, it's really hard to lie when you're talking to people. And I don't work on an electronic program. So I think you know, the first thing is freedom from deception. I'm certainly not there. I'm not an angel about this. But I have way more honest moments then I have dishonest moments, and I know how to course correct, and I don't live in my own lies in, as much as I did, and it's just really different. But that's really through doing the steps. Um, freedom from cruelty. Um, you know, the, the whole thing is. You know, I remember when I was in high school, we had this football coach, and um, and he would just move that ass, fatty. You know, he would scream at the top of his lungs with a hillbilly voice. I mean, it was just awful. And he was so bad that he went to work for the NFL and got fired because he was a thug, because you know. And I think that was um, one of the most mean things. But you know, that was nothing compared to the voice I had when I built one of my little spreadsheets and didn't follow it. Um, it's just horrible. We are so mean to ourselves. And it's only through a relationship with a higher power and working the steps and going through the fifth step with a sponsor saying, look what I've done, look what I've done, and the response being, thank you very much for your honesty. Thank you for telling me that. You know, they, they don't faint when you tell them this stuff. And I have 42 years of pretty wild goods. Um, and so there is a freedom from cruelty. I come in and I see people. Um, you know, I, I, for the first four years in program, I had I had tremendous. You know, I had this whole thing one time where I really didn't want to eat Asian food. I had no power to stop eating Asian food. I, I just really didn't. It's the quantity, sugar, and you know, all that stuff. Um, but that didn't count because it wasn't sugar and pastries, right? You know, that was just my whole my whole thing. But I really tried and I wanted God's help to bring it up. And I every day for forty five days I would call and say, I'm not going to have this kind of food today. And the next day, every day for 45 days, guess what I had yesterday? I'm powerless over food. You know, that's really indisputable. And I remember being at the Long Beach Convention, and something happened. You know, the magic of this program. Something happened where um, I thought, you know, you get arrogant. What, what's the big deal? I don't think I need Chinese food anymore. And it stopped. You know, it is just. Um, you know, that's just how it goes. But never in those forty-five days did anyone say you're a loser, except myself. You know, and no one from this program says that kind of stuff. Everyone just wants to get better. You know, and tell the truth. Um, you know, the, one of the things I get freedom from is freedom from limitation. When I was in the disease, I was so limited in my thinking. This is what a relationship could look like. If I had. Stuck with that, well, I don't think I'd have a relationship now, but it would just be so uninteresting. Um, I came in with a robust relationship with the higher power. I always had it. But I always thought food was unworthy. I thought you call upon the higher power when there's death, dying, famine, or tragedy. You know, Not because food's something you should be able to control, right? As a compulsive overeater, that was one of the most limiting thoughts. And I didn't really use my higher power that well. Or that way, I just, um, oh, yeah, yeah, God, please bring me someone and make sure people don't starve. And it never occurred to me. On a daily basis, I ask God for help for this disease. It's so expansive, and I get it all the time. I don't know how many of you use God boxes, but I'm telling you, you, know, you write something. God, take this. It's the third step. I can't do this. And all of a sudden, something changes all on God's time. I absolutely love that. Um, one of the things I, I want to say, and it's kind of connected to our community, but there's a quality of just terrible isolation that happens with compulsive overeaters. I don't know what happened to my 20s, 30s, and 40s. I don't know what happened to Friday nights when other people were dating. And you know, I'm at a point now where a lot of my friends have older kids graduating from high school and college. Where was I? You know, At restaurants, perhaps. At home, watching bad television with takeout crying because I didn't have a relationship, you know, I, I, all that kind of stuff. And it really is just a form of terrible isolation. The people I confided in, my God, these, I have personal trainers. I really turned into my higher power. And um, one had this big thing I should do with food and protein powder, uh, you know, all that stuff. And um, it made absolutely no sense to me. I couldn't figure it out. But I thought, well, God, they're skinny. They should know what they're doing. And I'm a loser. You know, I didn't know they were on steroids, but, hey, that didn't matter. <laughs> I don't have spiritual power to do certain things. And the way I get spiritual power is connecting with people in this program. Is connect- I go to three meetings a week, and I'm so happy. It's so funny for me. You know, I go to a lot of the 7 o'clock meetings, and a lot of my morning posse are here. And boy, they look great at night. Um, LAUGHTER we all come in with dead head and, you know, all the, um, But it's just, uh, it's just fantastic. But that's how I start the day because I go to those meetings. I go to three meetings a week. And I start the day doing that. And within an hour, when my life kicks in, I forget I'm a compulsive overeater. I forget I'm powerless over food. I think I can do things. I feel like some weird superhero. And then something will happen. I always, oh, or the phone will ring. Uh, but it's the, that kind of isolation that's, um, that's broken. So uh, the last thing I really want to talk about is um, I want to read something from Chapter 7 from um, the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. And it talks about working with others. Because for me, that's one of the things that's really made this program work. And practical experience experience shows that, let me try this again. Practical experience shows that nothing will so much ensure immunity from drinking as intensive work with other alcoholics. It works when other activities fail. This is our 12th suggestion carry the message to other alcoholics. You can help when no one else can. You can secure their confidence when others fail. Remember, they are very ill. Life will take on a new meaning. To watch people recover, to see them help others, to watch loneliness vanish, to see a fellowship grow up about you, to have a host of friends, this is an experience you must not miss. We know you will not want to miss it. Frequent contact with newcomers and each other is the bright spot of our lives. And the intense working with other people, as I'm here with a group of people, we've had so many wonderful things. There are people who have been here forever. You know, I've been around for 11 years. We've lost people. People have died, some to the disease, some to just having a full and active and wonderful abstinent life. Um, we've seen... Young people come in. We've seen babies be born in our fellowship. We've seen women who have the babies um, and men who adopt the babies. Um, we see them do everything they can to stay abstinent and be good, responsible parent. We see people fight illnesses with such a great fight where they put abstinence first as they just take on what life gives them. We see people... I've had the experience... One time of someone calling me, my dad dropped dead. I'm getting ready to go to his funeral. We're serving a buffet lunch, and I'm going to have seven ounces of turkey, a reasonable side of vegetables, and a salad. And I'm not going to touch the dessert as they're preparing to say goodbye to their father. You know, this is you now. I look at the you know the freedoms I've experienced from this program. This exceeds my wildest imagination. Whoever would thought, think through working these steps and working the the program, you know you could experience life in this way. I have such respect for everyone who comes in these rooms. I come to these rooms, and I think about the people who have left our rooms and you stick around long enough there are a lot of them. But then you see people come back. That's thrilling to do whatever it takes. Those are the people who give me hope. I get bored sometimes. I think I want out. It hasn't happened. But if I ever consider that, I'll consider the people who come back. We've seen people come in these rooms and put on a ton of weight. Because we have a terrible disease, and it's hard sometimes. But all I know, when that happens, um, if you stick around, that will change. Because I'm a low bottom, and it's changed for me. That's, the, that's that's my frame of reference. I know in every cell of my body. You keep coming back, things happen, and you keep coming back and saying, you know, my example is, you know, the, the Chinese food. You keep telling people that. Um, keep telling yourself that something changes. This program is miraculous beyond my wildest imagination, and I am deeply honored to be walking in the path with everyone here. So thank you.